0: This is Wahid Jensen and you are listening to Away Beyond the Rainbow. and welcome back to Away Beyond the Rainbow. this podcast series dedicated to Muslims experiencing same-sex attractions who want to live a life true to Allah subhanahu taala and Islam. I'm your host Hait Jensen and joining me again in today's episode in our series on attachments, codependency and emotional dependency is my dear friend Amina and we will be picking up from where we left off in the last episode. As you guys remember, in the previous episode, we talked about the origins of emotional attachments and codependency. And in this episode, inshallah, we will be talking about the characteristics of codependency and emotional dependency in detail. We have used the same resources that we have mentioned last time, so I will add them in the episode description for you guys to check out, inshallah. So let's get started. <music>
1: So the characteristics of SLDD or codependency is they're concerned. People are codependents are concerned about doing things right and making others happy at all costs. Mm -hmm. This comes from the belief that if they're if the codependent is good, giving and caring, then they will in return be happy, loved and fulfilled. They're going to receive the love that they need because they're constantly giving this love to others. So they're giving, 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 and so they figure out out if the right way to do things um, because then things will never go wrong. This is obviously just their opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of these are part of early conditioning that makes this their core belief about themselves and others. Uh, Being good will equal that they will be loved and have their needs met. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, when this doesn't happen over and over and over, they continue to try harder and they just do more of the same thing. And then they start to feel like they can never do it right. So no matter how hard they try, there's always going to be something wrong. So they end up feeling the opposite of what they want to feel. So they feel unhappy, unloved and unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. And they start to feel like they don't deserve to be treated this way because they constantly think I'm doing all these things for this other person. Why am I not getting this in return? Um, you know, I'm a good husband, I'm a good wife, father, mother, friend, whatever it is. And they're constantly feeling let down by others. Uh, because, what they do is never good enough for somebody else mm-hmm. um, to do the same for them. Right. And so they're always seeking this approval, you know, what they do or say is at some level it's calculated to gain someone else's approval or to avoid the disapproval from others. Um, it's that that external source of validation that we talked about, whether it's from, you know, family, spouse, friends, whoever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, I constantly found myself doing this with friends and partners and family is I'm constantly giving, giving, giving. And then there's a part of me that wants to receive the same in return, but I don't receive the same in return. So then you start getting resentful and you start thinking, oh, why why is this person not doing the same for me when mm-hmm. really it's not their job and it's not their responsibility, just like it's not my job or my responsibility to be doing all of these things for somebody else either.
0: Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. I agree with you hundred percent. And as a result, you know, it follows that um, we try to eliminate or hide certain things about ourselves, particularly our mistakes or our needs or our emotions. And, you know, we try to become what we believe others want us to be, right? We try to become more generous, helpful, peaceful, etc. Whatever other qualities people want from us, or we think that they want from us. We are afraid of um, others getting mad at us, or shaming us or leaving us if we, you know, if a particular mistake or a particular shortcoming that we have is exposed. And so our paradigm actually is the following, if I can hide my flaws and become what I think others want me to be, then I will be loved and get my needs met and have a problem-free life and so on and so forth. This is based on a faulty interpretation of our childhood events, but it is the only roadmap that we are used to. Um, It is highly ineffective, but as a result, you know, and on a subconscious level, we actually know that this is not working, but we just keep on trying harder and harder. We do more of the same. We hope for different results, but that is not going to happen, right? And so as a result, what happens is that we become more dishonest because we hide our mistakes. We avoid conflict. Uh, we say what we think people want us to, to say, or we, what we believe they want to hear from us. We repress our feelings. We don't speak our truth, We become more secretive because we are so driven to seek other people's approval, we will hide anything that we believe might upset anyone. We could tell lies, we can tell partial truths even, we emit information if we believe that it will prevent someone um, from focusing on us in a positive way. You know, a, a big part of us is that we try to hide parts of ourselves or things that are related to us in areas particularly that are part of just being human and alive, like you know, being sexual creatures, right? Or having bodily functions that we try to just hide away from people because we're ashamed of Um, the idea of getting older, losing our hair, for example, having particular needs, being imperfect and so on. We try to, you know, hide that from people thinking that if they see it, then we're imperfect. We need to hide or distract attention from any perceived shortcoming that people might end up, realizing about us like if we forget things if we're late if we're if we broke something let's say if we're not able to understand something particularly like during a lecture or a meeting if we're doing something wrong if we're depressed if we're in pain if we generally mess up whatever that we do you know there's a fear of failure and striving for perfectionism right
1: yeah and all of this hiding of of these actions is really to avoid conflict um, and confrontation. And the codependent is trying to keep peace at all costs, basically that you're just a pushover and you're allowing others to just walk all over you. Codependents really have a hard time saying no to people and, Uh, wouldn't tell people imposing on them that they're doing so. Mm -hmm. Uh, Codependents typically have problems with setting boundaries and boundaries are so, so, so important in any relationship or friendship. And we actually really dive deep into boundaries, but we'll touch on it a little bit here. Uh, Boundaries, you know, there's typically uh, three different types of boundaries and it's either that they're just non-existent, non-existent boundaries, or that they're damaged boundaries or walls. Uh, So non-existent boundaries, it creates an environment where the codependent can abuse another person or can be abused by another one quite easily. Uh, You know, boundaries are really in place to prevent other people from abusing you, but also to prevent you from abusing another. And like I've said before, it doesn't have to be physical. And so typically people that have non-existent boundaries, they just don't even know what boundaries are. And so they don't notice when others are in placing them on the person. So they don't, if they don't notice when others aren't placing the boundaries, they don't know if they're crossing them or not mm-hmm. uh, because they just have no concept of what they are, and then obviously they don't know how to set the boundaries Right. damaged boundaries these are present individuals um typically if a person has issues with setting boundaries with certain people but doesn't have issues with setting boundaries with others, so it could be that you know you you have people that they have no problem telling their supervisor no." If their supervisor tells them to do something, and if it doesn't if it's not part of their their job duties or if it's not part of their task that they have to do, they don't have a problem telling that supervisor "No, "Hey, I can't do this. Uh, I'm actually working on this other thing or whatever it is." But then that same person might have a very hard time uh, if their friend is asking them to go out to dinner with them and they don't really want to hang out tonight and go to dinner uh so they feel bad for the friend and they just tell this friend okay yeah i'll go uh when really they don't want to mm-hmm. so it's these people that they just uh they might be able to say no to somebody but not uh they they find themselves constantly saying yes to another group of people mm-hmm. uh, so they'll fall in this realm of da- damaged boundaries mm-hmm. and then the other boundaries is is walls right? So these are the people that they put up walls uh, to push people away. Uh, these are the the people that will give the silent treatment. Um, they are typically more recl- reclusive and they really stick to themselves. So right. there are also external boundaries. So external boundaries are to prevent you know, people from physically hurting you and to prevent yourself from physically hurting others. Mm -hmm. Uh, these are to protect your physical needs or sexual needs. And then there's internal boundaries, internal boundaries, they protect your thoughts and your feelings and they protect other people's thoughts and feelings. Um, and I think for codependence, it's really hard to realize that your feelings should not be determined by someone else's actions or feelings. And we have to stop blaming others for how we think or feel, you know, just blaming others for our happiness or our sadness. You know, I'm sad because this person did whatever when really that should just come from ourselves. We can't continuously blame others for how we're thinking or feeling.
0: Absolutely. Beautifully said. 100%. Yeah. it hits home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And another aspect of codependency is making excuses. Um, you know, when we do something or fail to do particular things or when someone confronts us and expresses their feelings, whether that's like a partner or a boss uh, or a friend or whoever you know, we go into this mode of defending ourselves or explaining or making excuses and rationalizing things. And we need to realize that all of this, all of these things are fear-based behaviors that are used to distract others from focusing on our mistakes and quote-unquote badness that we perceive, right? We just jump into this defensive mode. And another aspect is shame dumping, right? So if someone gets angry at us or points out some flaws or mistakes, even if, you know, they mean well, what happens is that our shame is going to be triggered. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. Oh my God, like they were able to see through me, blah, blah, blah. And so in order to distract ourselves and the other person from, you know, our quote-unquote badness, right, we will try to sometimes turn the tables and do something to trigger the other person's own shame, right? We try to shift the focus from us in order to kind of like slip out of the spotlight, right? So we might blame the other person, we might start bringing up the past, we might start deflecting or pointing out other person, you know, the other person's flaws and so on. So that's an example of shame dumping, right? And um you know the characteristics that we're basically talking about right now you know some of them might apply to people who identify with codependency others might not so just try and see how all of this fits into your life right
1: yeah definitely yeah and I, so i personally think that the core characteristic of codependency is when you put someone else's needs and wants over your own uh, so so some codependents are so used to doing this that they can't even recognize what their needs and wants are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they start to feel numb and they feel like they're just constantly going with the flow because they're allowing others to dictate what their needs and wants are. Right. And then there's another group of codependents that they they know that they have needs and wants, but they can't differentiate between the two. So these are the types that they might go on a huge shopping spree um, because they think that that's what they need, but really they just needed to eat something to satisfy their basic human need of hunger, right? So then they've gone on this shopping spree, but they still feel unfulfilled or sad, mm-hmm. and it's because they just satisfied a want, but they didn't satisfy their actual need.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then uh, there's some don't even know what their needs and wants are at all codependence they're constantly neglecting their own needs and wants, and they constantly find themselves pleasing others but not themselves. Typically, by the end of the day, they're just so exhausted from satisfying everyone else, um, and they just don't, they can't even think about what they need or want uh, because they've spent all day uh, satisfying everybody else. And a simple example of somebody who has poor boundaries or Uh, doesn't exactly know what they need or want, or doesn't do what they need or want. It can be like what I said before, you know, just going out to dinner, a friend wants to go out to dinner with you and then you just oblige and you go, or actually this just happened to me, I think it was a couple of weeks ago where, you know, some friends that I hadn't seen for a couple of years, they asked me to go camping with them and I just told them no. And then they tried to guilt trip me into it. And I said, no. <laughs> and, you know, they just asked why, why not? And I said, because I don't want to go camping. <laughs> I said, Simple. I, said, I can go anywhere else with you, no. uh, but I don't feel like going camping. And then, you know, we saw each other the next weekend and it was great. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the thing about boundaries is right. if you're not used to setting them, it can feel really weird and awkward at first, but typically in the end, you know, it just becomes so normal. I'm, so used to it, setting boundaries with certain people, um, because I become a little bit selfish in the fact that oh well I'll see this friend when I when I want to, um, yeah.
2: For sure,
0: for sure, hundred percent, yeah. Um, and so this idea of of having needs, you know, a lot of us taking into consideration everything that we've spoken about before when it comes to childhood abandonment and complex trauma. Um, We may have learned as kids that at moments when we had the most needs, we felt the most abandoned because our caregivers or our immediate support system or family did not attend to those needs, then we may have mistakenly assimilated that idea that our needs actually drove people away. And as a result, when we were kids and we were helpless, we concluded that if we would be able to eliminate or hide our needs, then no one would abandon us, right? For a lot of us, that's what our brain understood, given everything that we've been through. So we convinced ourselves that if we didn't have needs, it, is not gonna, it wouldn't hurt so bad when our needs were not met. So not only did we learn to not expect to get our needs met, It also meant that our very survival seemed to depend on appearing not to have needs, if that makes sense, right? We wanted to put that armor on that we don't have needs, right? Um, We don't expect anyone to meet our needs. Because if people don't see that, then we're, you know, it just makes it less painful, if they don't meet our expectations. So it becomes actually a dilemma or sort of an unsolvable problem. We will never be able to totally repress our needs in order to stay alive, right? Because we all have needs. But at the same time, we cannot really meet all our needs on our own. So how do we go about that? And the only logical solution would be to try to appear needless and wantless While trying to get our needs met in indirect and covert ways, which kind of explains all of what happens in a codependence life. Um, So, you know, we believe that it's a virtue to have few needs and wants as people who have codependency. But then when we go about trying to get our needs met, we are frequently indirect, unclear, even manipulative and controlling. So underneath all of this armor, we're actually extremely needy, right? It's very difficult difficult to ask for what we want in very clear and direct ways. Um, So it creates a sense of powerlessness. And so a lot of us kind of resort to manipulation when we try to get our needs met. Again, like controlling, manipulative, unclear, indirect ways. Sometimes we may even use shame and blame to control others. We may show that we are indifferent, helpless, even authoritative sometimes, or enraged because we want particular outcomes that we want to get from people, but we can't get ourselves to become direct and clear and transparent, right? Sometimes we might even agree with others just to get what we want from them,
1: right? And so on and so forth. Yeah, definitely. And another characteristic of codependence is that we typically are really bad at receiving. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're actually really bad at receiving gifts or receiving love. Um, Because since getting their needs met contradicts these childhood paradigms, uh, codependents are just really uncomfortable when they actually do get what they want. And they're terrified of asking for help. And they're completely miserable when others try to give it to them. And they have difficulty delegating things to others. These are the types that they just want to do everything themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And though most codependents, they have a difficult time grasping this concept. Uh, They're terrified of getting what they really want. And they will go to extreme measures to make sure that they don't. And they kind of carry out this unconscious agenda of connecting with the needy or unavailable people. Uh, They're always operating from this unspoken agenda, being unclear and indirect and pushing people away and sabotaging. And all of these strategies pretty much ensure that the codependent won't have to experience the fear and shame or anxiety that might get triggered if he or she actually allowed someone to focus on his or her needs. Uh, So, yeah, so, so you'll see this a lot in gift giving is that codependents will be giving a lot of gifts, but then someone will try to give them a gift in return. And sometimes they'll just flat out reject it or they'll accept it, but they'll, you know, constantly be saying, Oh, you really didn't have to, you really didn't have to. And they almost feel this shame for receiving the gift.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And then they'll try and top the gift. They'll basically give something more lavish to the other person or, um, or, you know, a codependent will take somebody out for dinner and then they're used to paying and then the other friend will want to treat the codependent and they will. And then the the friend will, the codependent will do the, it, they'll have to take them out to someone even more expensive, you know, just constantly trying to top the other, other person.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so underneath all of that, what we can see is that there's this unconscious or like unspoken agreement that, you know. you know, the, the main way that we actually interact with the world around us is operating on this agenda of, I will do this for you so that you will do that for me. Right. We will both act as if we have no awareness of this quote unquote contract, but okay, I'll do this for you. You do that for me. We don't even say that, but this is the, this is the, you know, our, the way that we kind of operate. Right. So for example, I whisper to someone, I love you but then i wait for them to actually say i love you too right this is an example of this covert contract where we give something to get something in return right i give i love yous to get i love you twos in return that's a way of trying to get all our needs met and this is just a you know generic example there's nothing wrong with asking you know my spouse or someone i really love to you know to tell me that they love me but rather telling them i love you first to get an i love you too back is kind of like an indirect and a manipulative way to get what i need right
1: i love you Wahid.
0: i love you too i mean uh and this is a very clear direct transparent statement
1: <laughs> you better uh-huh okay <laughs> anyways yeah so this type of behavior it can really breed resentment. And I think it's pretty easy to see how it would, because you're always expecting someone to act in a certain way. um, And when they don't, and there's plenty of times that they won't, uh, you're, you're going to take that, you're going to feel that, that sadness because they didn't behave in a certain way that you were already expecting them to, because you did something for Mm -hmm. them or you said something. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're always trying to manipulate and control someone else's actions to make yourself feel better. But it's just not always going to happen like that. So most codependents will believe that if someone would just be or act a certain way, then they themselves would be happy. Mm -hmm. And so codependents, they find themselves saying a lot about family members or partners or friends, you know, if my wife or husband or cousin or whoever would just stop drinking or doing drugs, then everything would be okay. Or if they would just take out the trash, everything would be okay. Or if they would do the dishes, everything would be okay. It's always based on somebody else's actions. Mm-hmm. Then the codependent's life would be better and their feelings would be better. Right. When in reality, you know, codependent's happiness, and life should not be, ter- be determined by someone else's actions. And we actually have zero control over somebody else's behavior. Mm-hmm. So instead of wasting all of this time trying to control somebody else's actions and thoughts and beliefs, um, we could just let those people be who they want to be. And then, uh, we be our own people and, uh, yeah. So that we can avoid, you know, the, the resentment, avoid feeling resentful to these other people when they're just trying to live their own lives, you know? Right. Um, yeah,
0: absolutely. hundred percent. And a major, major characteristic, as we've alluded to before is caretaking, right? So, If a person has a problem, they have a need, or they're angry, or depressed, or sad, or whatever, we will frequently attempt to solve or fix that situation, and sometimes even without being asked. Usually that's the case. Without even being asked, we go in, we jump right in. We do anything for anybody, right? And this is one of the most common ways to try to meet our needs, is through taking care of other people. We believe that our caretaking is the way that we love people and it's one of the things that makes us good people and makes us appear as loving to others in reality this has nothing to do with being loving or good and this is kind of a slap in the face when i read that because it's a very immature and indirect attempt to try to get our needs met Um, And caretaking, if we break it down, it consists of two parts. Focusing on other people's problems and needs and feelings in order to feel valuable and then get our own needs met or to avoid dealing with our own problems or feelings. So it's always focusing on other people because I want to get something in return or run away from something that I have, right? So we find this a lot of times, like when we are attracted to people or situations that need fixing, right? Um, Again, why are we attracted to that? Because this comes from our own childhood conditioning, the need to look good to gain approval. And unfortunately, um, this behavior guarantees that we will spend our lives putting out fires and managing crises, and it's going to be very exhausting, and we're going to be burned out eventually. Many people who have codependency believe that other people are incapable of self-care. So what do we have to do then? We have to step in to kind of like, quote unquote, save those people. We try to convince others what, what to think and what to feel and what to do and how to do things, etc. And we may offer unsolicited advice and directions and we become resentful if other people are not going to take our advice or they, they reject our help, right? Sometimes we focus on others and relationships and something else, whatever it is, just to kind of like escape our inner world. Because if I can fix you or fix that thing, then it gives me satisfaction. So there's always this need to control or fix something or someone, you know, with people. And we mostly fail because we cannot really control other people. Um... And that becomes an, an addiction or a sort of a distraction. And as a result, what we tell ourselves is, I don't understand why they haven't changed or, you know, I've done everything for those people. Like, what the hell do they need more from me? And w- what are we supposed to do if we cannot help? Look at look at this statement. What am I supposed to do um, if I cannot help them, Right but we can't answer that so what do we say okay i'm going to help them anyway because i can't do anything else that's that's what we're fixated on and um, and it's very important to, very important at this point to kind of like distinguish between caring and caretaking there's a huge difference with caretaking what we are doing is we're giving to other people what we need to give them It comes from a place of emptiness within us, within us as givers, and there are always unconscious strings attached, right? However, with caring, we give to others what they need, not what we need to give them. It comes from a place of, you know, abundance from us, as opposed to emptiness, and then there are no strings attached, right? So that's the difference between caretaking and caring. We caretake for a number of reasons. None of those have to do with anything when it comes to love, right? We give in the ways we would like others to give to us. We give gifts, affection, you know, surprises, back rubs, even sex. We will encourage other people to like take a day off or buy a new outfit or go to the doctor, take a trip, quit a job, go back to school, whatever it is. Yet, we would never give ourselves the permission to do any of these things.
1: Yeah, so from the codependence perspective, there's always some kind of strings attached. Uh, They won't say it outright, but in their minds or even, they're either consciously or they unconsciously know that there are strings attached. Mm -hmm. They want, you know, either the same exact thing in return, what they're giving, or they just want to be appreciated in some way. They want some kind of reciprocation in whatever form. Right. Uh so this is when they often report they feel frustrated or resentful when they are not getting uh the same in return. Mm-hmm. The codependent is typically keeping score in their mind. Um, you know, they're always thinking, Okay, well, I gave this person X amount of things. Um, so this is a type that they'll remember things from years ago, you know, well, I gave you XYZ five years ago, and the person on the receiving end normally doesn't even remember because they didn't realize that a score was being kept, you know, and they didn't realize that what they were being given, uh, you know, that they had to give something in return. So they're normally totally oblivious to what's going on in the codependent's head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here, the codependent is just experiencing all all types of feelings and resentment toward this other other person. Uh, so when this frustration and resentment builds up long enough, it spills out in the form of rage attacks, passive aggressive behavior, pouting, tantrums, withdrawing, shaming, criticizing, blaming, and sometimes even physical abuse. Um, and then once the cycle has been completed, it usually just begins all over again. You know, the codependent will do the same thing to the same person or they'll do it to somebody else. Uh, so some questions to ask to realize if this is what's happening is, you know, do you make cutting remarks or hurtful, you know, those hurtful jokes that are kind of on the line? Like you can always play them off as jokes, but they're, they're not really jokes about your partner or your loved ones or your friends. Do you embarrass them in public, kind of like trying to put them down a little bit? Right. Uh, are you frequently late to events with them? Uh, do you just kind of forget things that they've asked you to do? You know, do you forget to take out the trash, even though you didn't really forget? Uh, do you criticize your friends or your partners? Do you withdraw from them, or do you constantly threaten to leave them? Uh, do you let this frustration build up until you blow up at them? You know what are what are your behaviors with in your with your partners or your family members or your friends? Do they are any of these things happening? Uh, And kind of like an exercise you could do is ask the people around you, um, you know, ask your significant others or your family members or friends if you do these things, because they will typically tell you um, if you are or not. Um, They can be honest with you because typically people want the behavior to end as well. Um, Yeah, so it's important to just break this, break out of the cycle. So most codependents are always keeping score. They claim to always be doing these things simply out of kindness of their hearts and all of that. But the reality is is that they want something in return. Um, And, instead of just being upfront with other people, they expect other people to just know what they want. You know, we all know people like that, that we're, we're always put, we've been put in the situations before where, uh-huh. s- where we felt like another person was expecting us to just read their mind, you know? Mm-hmm. They're saying one thing, but they actually mean the other. And um, it really sucks to be in that position because you actually don't know. And so it's kind of a good practice to just tell people what you want and what you need, and just be upfront. Uh, don't expect somebody else to read your mind. If you need a hug, tell somebody that you need a hug. Don't go about it in some roundabout way. Amen. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I, I actually had a friend that was just telling me this that she would she would constantly find herself um, basically, you know, at the same time every day she would be instigating a fight with her partner.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: she didn't know why. And she would just instigate a fight with her partner. And then one day her partner just went up to and just held her. And then everything was fine. And she realized, I've just been instigating these fights because I didn't know how to tell my partner that, hey, I just want a hug. That's all I need. (laughs) And so going some roundabout way. Uh, So Mm -hmm. many codependents, they can be passive aggressive. And we've all been in those situations dealing with passive aggressive people, they tend to express their frustration and resentment in these indirect and roundabout and not so nice ways. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: this can include being unavailable and just forgetting, being late, not following through, just repeating all these same really annoying behaviors, even when they have promised to never do them again.
0: Absolutely. Yep. And another major aspect of codependency is being perfectionists, right? We're obsessed with trying to keep our lives smooth and uneventful. We try to do it right. We follow the rules, quote unquote. You know, we're so afraid of the uncertainty that comes with change and difference. But unfortunately, all of this is the most effective way to Stifle our creativity, right? To kill our passion and it prevents us from living up to our true full potential, right? We strive for perfectionism and it keeps us focused on our imperfections, ironically, right? We attempt to hide all our flaws and mistakes and that prevents us from actually taking risks or trying something new. We follow the rules, it makes us so rigid, it makes us cautious, it makes us fearful we're not saying we need to break the rules, but we follow the rules to the T. We're so inflexible, it makes us very fearful and anxious. Um, You know, we impose a lot of, you know, limits on ourselves that we become so dissatisfied, bored, unhappy with our lives, unhappy with our careers and what we do, right? Um, We all desire love and connection. But these behaviors kind of like make this invisible force field that keeps us away from people who are trying to be close to us, right? We have a difficult time understanding that in general, people are not really drawn to perfection in others, but they are drawn to what exactly? To our shared interests, to problems that we have, to our life energy, to connection, right? We connect with others, if we hide our humanity and we try to kind of like project an image of perfection, it makes us really seem vague and lifeless and uninteresting to people. When we, again, we've been talking about this so many times in the in the podcast that genuine connection means vulnerability and, and you know, dropping those masks and actually showing our wounds to people who have earned the right and the privilege to hear our story and developing that intimate connection with them. So perfectionism goes against all of that because we're hiding behind this facade that we are perfect when no human is perfect. And as a result, we have a difficulty asking for help, right? We believe we should be able to do everything on our own. We have a very difficult time actually asking for help and we try to hide any signs of imperfection or weakness. And so as a result, we become isolated. On the one hand, we desire to be loved and liked, but on the other hand, our Behaviors make it very difficult for people to get very close to us as a result of all of that, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that most codependents are just acting out of fear. Everything is just fear-based. Mm-hmm. Um pretty much everything that a codependent does or doesn't do is governed by fear. Uh, This can be seen in, you know, the fear of demanding a raise, even though the person has been promised a raise or a fear, the fear from going back to school because of what the, what other people will think if they're going back to school at an older age Mm -hmm. uh, or the fear of changing careers, um, the fear from relocating to a place that, the person actually really wants to live at um, because of the fear of the relocation costs or the fear of what other people will think or just everything is just so fear-based. And I think it's because codependents are just inherently afraid of making any type of mistake, mm-hmm. any type of mistake that somebody is going to be able to criticize them about or invalidate them about. They're really afraid of failure and just losing it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also, on the other hand, codependents are afraid of success um, because they don't want to be found out that they're just frauds, that they won't be able to live up to other people's expectations of them. Um, they don't want to lose control over their entire lives. They won't... They, w- criticized, you know, if they're too successful, if they won't be able to handle these increased expectations. Um, and then they're also really afraid that once they achieve the success, success, they're just going to mess it all up and lose everything. Uh, so then because of this, codependents are typically, They're good at looking just good enough. They're not the types that are going to exceed all expectations. They're better at just being almost average. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to be really great, to rise to the very top, that's going to invite so much unwanted attention and scrutiny. So consequently, codependents, they just find many creative ways to make sure they are never too successful. So if they don't start something, then they won't fail. If they don't finish something, they won't be criticized. If they have too much going on at once, they won't have to do any one thing well. I actually have found this about myself. It was a few years ago as I realized, you know, I'm I'm the type of person that I can give a fifty percent. 50% effort into anything. And I can kind of get max results. Right. And that's just purely genetics. My parents were really awesome people and like passed on really awesome genetics to me. So I didn't really have to try very hard, like the next person to get max results. Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking, man, what if I gave a hundred percent effort into just any one thing? What could I achieve? You know, cause I was always the type that was really good at snowboarding, but really good at basketball and all these things. Mm-hmm. But if I just put all my effort into one thing, man, I could be really good at it.
2: (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah, just always never being quite perfect at any one thing or never devoting all of your attention to one thing and never finishing one thing. The amount of projects that I have started and not finished is pretty incredible. Hmm. Uh, Be a big list. But uh, so rather than facing these fears, whether they're real fears, you know, some of these fears are actually real or they're just imagined fears, um, codependents, they'll typically just settle for operating at a fraction of their full potential. Like, kind of like what I was talking about uh, mm-hmm. is just, I settle for giving 50% effort into everything that I do. Rather, I could give a hundred percent effort into everything I do. And I, where could I be then, you know, somewhere super amazing. Um, right. so they operate at a fraction of full potential and they can engage in self-sabotage, uh, cause you're not being, you're not you're not operating at your full potential, right? So mm-hmm. codependents will undermine their success They'll, by wasting time. They make excuses, not finish projects, and then they caretake other people. So you know, if you're constantly taking care of other people, it takes away, and when it takes away your time to do your own projects, um, I've found that codependents are the ones that are just always busy, right? They always have mm-hmm. a million tasks going on I'm never finishing one, but yeah.
0: Absolutely. And I identify with what you said, basically. Like, it just makes a lot of sense, subhanAllah. Yeah. Another characteristic that applies to a lot of people dealing with codependency is that we have a distorted self-image. Because we had that inability to fix or please or take care of one or both parents that we had, many of us developed this deep-seated sense of being inadequate, right? We felt that we should be able to do a particular thing, but we never seemed to be able to do it right or to be good enough, right? No matter what we did, mom was still depressed, dad was still critical, and so on and so forth, right? So we internalized that sense of inadequacy and defectiveness that we carried on into our adulthood, right? Which is part of that core shame that we talked about. So many of us compensate by trying to do everything right, right? Right? We hope that if we do everything right, no one will ever find out about how inadequate we really are, which is part of our self-perception. And so while other people would just give up before they even try, because the sense of inadequacy prevents them from making themselves visible and taking chances and taking risks and trying something new, right? it keeps them in that same old rut and behavioral patterns, never seeing how really talented or intelligent they really are. Right? Um, everyone around them can actually see that, but because they have this distorted childhood lens and this paradigm through which they observe the world, they don't really see their true potential and their true abilities. And as a result of this distorted self image, um, you know, th- they create this emotional and cognitive glass ceiling, as it's referred to, right? This like lid that prevents them from really being all they can be, right? Um, if we really try to rise above that, you know, lid or that glass ceiling that we've created, we kind of like bump our heads and we tumble down be- because we are, you know, we are used to this familiar territory. We're so afraid of getting out of our comfort zones. So, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. And then codependents, they frequently have problems in intimate relationships, so, their intimate relationships are frequently a source of struggle and frustration. For example, if you're too busy trying to figure out how to defend yourself or fix another person's problem because of your fear of conflict, then it causes you to be frequently dishonest and you're rarely available to work all the way through a problem with another person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so, these are types that m- might form relationships with partners who they believe to be quote-unquote projects or diamonds in the rough, uh, kind of back at that savior-rescuer mentality, uh, trying to find people to help and work on. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, And
1: then when these projects don't polish up as expected, codependents tend to blame their partner for standing in the way of their happiness, you know. And I've seen this a lot where, you know, one partner will another city or something because for their other partner's job or to be closer to family or whatever it is. Um, but then the codependent is not actually getting what they need or what they want. And then in the end, if the relationship dissolves or whatever it is, the codependent will blame the other person. Well, Oh, I had to move all the way over here and then I couldn't find a job here or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're blaming the other person when really, you know, that was a codependent's choice. Um, the, the, what they should have done was actually voice what they needed and what they wanted in the beginning. Um, Right. Intimacy implies vulnerability and intimacy requires two people who are willing to courageously look inward and make themselves totally visible to another Internalized toxic shame makes this kind of exposure feel life-threatening for codependents because being known means being found out. Mm -hmm. And all the codependents have worked their entire lives to become what they believe others want them to be while trying to hide their perceived flaws. So the demands of intimacy represent everything that codependents run away from and fear the most. And so they tend to re- recreate these familiar yet dissatisfying relationships all the time, continuing the pattern continuing the cycle. Mm-hmm. And they find partners who will help them create that same dysfunctional kind of relationship they experience as children. Uh, so for example, if if you were listening to your mother's problems as a child, uh, they gave the codependent the sense of connection and this child may grow up believing that such behavior equals intimacy. Mm -hmm. So in order to feel valuable and connected in their adult relationships, they will have to pick a partner who has their fair share of problems, Mm -hmm. the same problems that your mother was always telling you about. Right. Uh, So if the codependent was trained to caretake and fix needy or dependent family members, then the codependent will find a way to do the same in their adult relationships. Mm -hmm. And so if the codependent believed they could only get their own needs met after they met the needs of other more important people like the family member, like the needy family member,
3: mm-hmm.
1: then the codependent would sacrifice themselves for the sake of their partner. Basically just recreating that childhood incident. Right. And so if the child was abandoned um, during childhood, then they may also choose partners who are unavailable or unfaithful the child grew up with angry, demeaning, or controlling parents, then they may choose a partner with these similar traits later on in life.
0: Absolutely. You know, for a lot of people who struggle with codependency, the moment that they actually enter a relationship, they start to balance two things, which is their fear of vulnerability and then their fear of isolation. I'm afraid of being vulnerable, so I'm afraid of other people getting close and seeing how quote-unquote bad I am, uh, because if they see how quote-unquote bad I am, then they will hurt me or shame me or leave me, so I, I try to build those walls to prevent them from getting too close. But at the same time, I'm so afraid of isolation. Um So we end up recreating those childhood abandonment and terrifying memories. Um, So it becomes an act of balancing these two things. I'm afraid of being too close to people, but at the same time, I don't want them to leave me or abandon me. So a lot of us end up finding people who are equally wounded and also have their own difficulty with intimacy. And it becomes a very volatile relationship or friendship or whatever that bond is. So, you know, it, it... it becomes a relationship that actually frustrates all parties while protecting us from the fear of being found out. And it is very true that eventually a lot of co- a lot of people with codependency end up picking, you know, spouses or you know, friends who appear to be projects, quote unquote. And you know, a lot of us end up, you know, picking some pretty messed up people who have deep issues. So the fact that, you know, those people may have particular challenges or particular problems, whether it's like financial issues, anger issues, addiction issues, depression, issues with, with um, like being faithful in that relationship or whatever it is, those issues are particularly the reasons why a lot of us actually invite those people into our lives. As long as the attention is focused on the flaws of the other person, then I can direct any attention from the internalized toxic, toxic shame, the core shame that I have. Right.
1: Yeah. So codependents, they may be enmeshed or avoiders. Mm hmm. So Enmeshed is becoming overly involved in an intimate relationship at the expense of oneself and other outside interests. And then the Avoider is kind of the opposite, where they are being emotionally unavailable to a primary partner while playing this codependent role outside of the relationship. So at their job or with friends, parents... Both patterns, enmeshing and avoiding, they inhibit any real kind of intimacy from occurring. So they may, help, they may help the codependent feel safe, but they won't actually help him feel him or her feel real loved.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so codependents they frequently see themselves as being victims to the dysfunction of their partners. Uh, they have a difficult time seeing that they were attracted to these people for a reason in the first place. And when a healthy person would pack up and you know, move on from the relationship, codependents just keep doing more of the same in their subsequent relationships, hoping that something will miraculously change. This is kind of like the 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 common saying of, you know, it doesn't really matter where you move, um your problems will follow you because you're still the same person. It doesn't matter if you move to a different city or what, you're still the same person. So it's the same thing in these relationships. A codependent will always be the same in these relationships because they're still the same person if they haven't worked on themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they're attracted to these careers and work situations that allow them to recreate the dysfunctional roles and relationships and rules of their childhood. And they often see themselves as just helpless victims to these situations. And rarely will a codependent actually see why they need these systems to be the way they are and that they have the choice to just leave them. Uh, so codependents, they tend to be attracted to people who have some of the worst traits or, or, or both of our parents.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, instead of blaming your partner for your unconscious choice, just identify the ways in which your partner helps you recreate these familiar relationship patterns from your childhood. Mm -hmm. And then you can share this with the people in your life. You can share this with your partner or your friends or family members. Uh, So codependents, they also are typically bad enders to any friendship or relationship. Um, They have difficulty getting the love they want because they spend too much time trying to make these bad relationships work. Mm -hmm. And these are the types that are just looking for love in all the wrong places. And if a codependent spends all the time stuck in a bad relationship, it pretty much guarantees the codependent won't find one that would work better. And when healthy individuals would recognize that they've created a relationship that is not a good fit, or that a partner they chose lacks the basic qualities they desire, then they would just move on. But codependents don't, because mm-hmm. due to their conditioning, of they just keep trying harder to get this non-workable situation to work, or to get someone to be something they are not. Uh, this tendency just really frustrates everybody involved. Right. And even when codependents try to end a relationship, or they do end a relationship they're typically not very good at it and they will frequently do it too late or they'll be indirect and blaming or deceitful and they typically have to do it many times before it actually just sticks and I found this to be true um when I was breaking up with my ex-wife I was constantly going back and forth back and forth back and forth um, it was never very clear cut until one day I just, you know, got the confidence to just make it, make it clear cut and say, Hey, no, we're, we're getting divorced and that's it. We're not going, we're not coming back to each other. But even besides her, I found this in many of my relationships in general, mm-hmm. uh, partners is it was always just back and forth. Right.
0: Which, which is very toxic eventually and too draining for both parties involved. Right? Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. And actually, my mom, she would always tell me something that always stuck with me. But she said, this kind of talks about, you know, when you choose a partner that lacks the basic qualities you desire, um, she would always tell me, if you want a partner that doesn't drink or doesn't smoke, don't choose a partner that drinks and smokes thinking that they're going to change for you. Mm -hmm. Choose a partner that just doesn't drink or doesn't smoke. Um, And it's just such a basic idea and it really makes so much sense because codependents they would instead of choosing somebody that just doesn't smoke or doesn't drink they'll go and they'll choose somebody who smokes and drinks thinking that they can make this person change for them and so it's already this foundation of a really rocky relationship
0: exactly beautifully said by the way lots of hugs tomorrow yeah
1: um
0: And as you were saying that a lot of people struggling with codependency or SLDD would have problems in intimate relationships based on everything that we've been talking about, a lot of them also struggle with sexuality, right? Um, you know, they have problems with sex, uh, many might be dissatisfied with their sex life, they might have sexual dysfunctions, or they might have a sens- tendency to sexually act out, meaning, you know, they might be having affairs when they're married, or they might be having addiction to pornography, or compulsive masturbation, or just hooking up with people, you know, sexually, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So this is actually a common theme that we find. And um, And, you know, if we want to kind of like have a general umbrella theme for all of this behavior, it's numbing behavior. So it's very common to have addiction or numbing behaviors because of all of the stress that we've been talking about, all of these characteristics and all of the original trauma, it's very stressful to deal with. So there needs to be a way to relieve that stress and to change the mood and to kind of like, quote unquote, medicate the pain again, right? So a lot of people struggling with codependency will result will, will resort to numbing behaviors um, because we tend up to keep so much bottled up inside it has to come out somewhere and you know one of the most common addictive behaviors is sexual compulsiveness um yeah so so this is one thing to watch out for and we will be talking about sexual addictions later inshallah in this season A very important theme that we need to discuss is the, you know, the struggle of men in particular with codependency. And this is very common to, you know, men in general who, uh, struggle with their sense of masculinity. But, you know, this also applies to men who struggle with same-sex attractions or who experience same-sex attractions. You know, there's an element of codependency that's involved, right? Um, you know we have talked about this theme over and over a lot of us didn't have a close bonded relationship with our fathers in childhood either because the father was not present or withdrawn or passive or even abusive right many of us actually made this conscious decision to kind of be different from our fathers and yeah another thing is that many of us were you know didn't have a lot of very close male friends um And instead, a lot of us were kind of more gravitating towards our moms who were close to them instead, and we kind of like adopted a feminine perspective on masculinity, right? Uh, We were comfortable in having our manhood defined by women, right? We frequently sought the approval of women and we convinced ourselves that we are different from other men, right? We like to believe that we are not selfish, we're not angry, we're not abusive, and other traits that we kind of associated with, quote-unquote, other men. Sometimes we found ourselves trying to please a very angry mom, or a very critical mom, or a controlling, overbearing mom, right? More often than not, this bond that we that we found ourselves um, in was the result of being actually forced to take care of this mom who may have been needy or dependent or actually smothering in some cases. And without having a supportive father in the picture, a lot of us as boys, we had to negotiate this situation that was kind of like impossible and beyond us. And so on the one hand, we had to please this angry or controlling or smothering and overbearing mother uh, or become mother's little partner, quote-unquote, you know and on the other hand you know that absent or abusive or neglectful father this kind of created this dynamic in which we found ourselves unconsciously becoming quote unquote monogamous to our moms we weren't able to individuate in a healthy way and kind of separate from the mother figure and so a lot of us found ourselves in this situation when we where we said i'm not comfortable with other men i don't know what to talk about when i'm with other men most men are just jerks right you know, I used to have male friends, but then, you know, when I got married, my wife made it such a hassle to do things with, with you know, my male friends, so I just gave up completely. Or, you know, the, the common situation or the common saying that I tend to be a loner, I don't want other people, I'm just comfortable flying solo, right? So many of us, like codependent men or men with SSA, a lot of us have difficulty connecting with other men because of the limited positive male contact that we've had over the years, that we've experienced throughout childhood and adolescence and adulthood and because a lot of us didn't have a positive bond with our fathers we never learned the basic skills that were necessary to build the meaningful relationships with other men you know masculinity is earned and it's it's a rite of passage to actually do certain things and learn certain skills in order to develop our sense of masculinity a lot of us didn't have that and, and a lot of us eventually ended up feeling that we are just different from other men, right? We we just, we're different, right? We don't click with them. And so this kind of distorted thinking usually began in childhood when we tried to be different from our fathers who we didn't see as, you know, in our eyes as good enough, right? And so in adulthood, we often create, create similar dynamics with men in general, right? We distance ourselves from them, or we think that they're not good enough, or we might not be good enough in their eyes. So the conclusion is that as long as we are disconnected from men or believe that we are different from them, we will cut them off um, from our lives and we therefore cut ourselves off from so many benefits of male companionship, male bonding and this power of having a masculine, you know, this healthy masculine community that we need in order to thrive and survive and become, you know, to live our full potential as men in particular,
2: right?
1: Yeah, this is a common scenario where there's a controlling or perfectionist father and the father put unrealistic demands on the kids. Mm -hmm. So type that says, you know, that there's just one right way to do do everything, uh, that they have to follow the way that he... Says, uh, there's no other way. And then the mother is being emotionally dependent, and who lives through her kids. You know, her kids are are her success. Mm -hmm. And when the mother is needy, then she would smother her kids. And the but then when the children had needs, she often was too emotionally distressed and to respond to the children's needs. So she was relying on the children to satisfy her emotional needs, but not reciprocating. And then as a result, how would these kids cope? Um, They would believe that if they could figure out how to do everything right, then the kids could garner their father's approval and avoid the criticism. Mm -hmm. And if the kids responded to the mother's neediness by being attentive and nurturing, then she would be available to them when they had their own needs.
2: Right.
1: And if they didn't cause any problems, they would get love and approval. If they hid their mistakes, no one would ever get mad at them. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, no matter what the kids did, is that they would never live up to their father's expectation or get their mom to nurture them in a safe and healthy way. Mm -hmm. So there's no way to do everything right And people would still get angry no matter how well they did to hide their mistakes. Um, So the only option that the kids could see was to keep trying harder and doing more of the same thing. The only thing their paradigm ever really did was to create a distraction from their feelings of fear and worthlessness and inadequacy.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and this we can actually see replicated in the lives of so many men who struggle with codependency, uh, you know, and or same sex attractions who eventually get married, um, and you know they have their own families. They replicate this scenario with their wives, like the mother figure who um, you know we just described, the wife might actually be only attentive when she would be emotionally needy right you know and similar to the father she could actually be critical and controlling so by applying that paradigm and that road map to his marriage trying to do everything right and being attentive and nurturing and never being problematic whatsoever avoiding conflicts and hiding his mistakes and basically everything that we've been talking about he creates this illusion that he could get his wife to approve of him all the time and to even like even be sexually available whenever he wanted like if i could do everything the right then if i want to kind of like be sexually intimate with my wife then i would get her to be that and to never get mad at me right but this problematic way of looking at things and doing things prevents men who struggle with that from actually seeing that no matter what you do your wife is going to still be having her own set of independent emotions and being maybe cold at some points, critical at other points, unavailable at some points, and maybe, you know, and that you actually need her to be that way sometimes because we're all humans, right? And even when this paradigm was, you know, ineffective in adulthood as it was in childhood because of all of the coping strategies that we grew up developing... The only option, again, is even if it's if it sucks, we keep on trying harder and doing more of the same. And this strategy never works, right?
1: Yeah, and and when the man is continuously seeking the woman's approval, it actually gives women the power to define men and determine the man's worth. Um, when really they don't need the woman's approval to determine their own worth, exactly as. Uh, so these codependent men, they'll constantly report that their own moods are often tied to the moods of their partner. Uh, if she's happy and doing okay, then so is he. Mm-hmm. And if she's angry, depressed, or stressed, then he'll feel anxious until she's fixed or feeling better.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then if the woman says he is wrong or thinks that he's a jerk or whatever it is, then the guy will be inclined to believe that she is right. Mm-hmm. And even if he argues with the woman's evaluation, at some level he knows that since she is the woman, she must be right. Right. Which that's right. By mm. the way. Oh
0: my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, not always, but okay.
1: <laughs> I just feel like if people just realize that the woman's always right, we was just things would go a lot smoother, you know, arguments would end.
0: Oh, please. Okay. Well, I'm not (laughs) sexist or anything. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm pro women, but I'm also pro men. So let's just be balanced. (laughs)
1: Anyways. (laughs) So when the codependent guy puts a woman or women on a pedestal and attempts to win their approval, Sooner or later, this adoration will turn to rage when these objects of worship fail to live up to their expectations. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of bottled up anger in these situations. Mm -hmm. The irony of it all is that women, we actually view men who try to please them constantly. So if a man is constantly trying to please me, we view them as weak and we hold these men in contempt. And most women do not want a man who tries to please them. They want a man who knows how to please himself and stand up for himself. And a real man, not someone who's just passive and pleasing all the time.
0: Amen. Hearing this from a woman puts things in perspective, right? Thanks for saying that. I'm not trying to please you constantly, right? So...
1: (laughs) i
0: wish you would though Uh uh-huh okay i keep dreaming (laughs) anyway (laughs) yeah um and yeah basically what we've been saying is that um a lot of those men in particular they have problems with masculinity and the way that we define masculinity is that this healthy form of masculinity not the toxic masculinity that we are against right so Proper, healthy masculinity actually empowers a man to create and produce things. It empowers the man to provide for and to actually protect those who are important to him, those who are under his, um, you know, wing, so to speak. Those, uh, you know, the people he's in charge of, his family, his, you know, the the people who Allah assigned to be under his protection and care. You know, when we think of proper, healthy masculinity, we think of strength discipline courage passion persistence integrity right a lot of people a lot of men who are um, dealing with codependency or same sex attractions are actually afraid of the other aspects that masculinity involves like the potential for aggressiveness and destructiveness and brutality which are things that must be kept under control we as guys dealing with this we, t- we tend to like avoid the quote unquote dark side of masculinity But as a result, we also repress other aspects of the male energy. And we tend to lose a lot of assertiveness and competitiveness and creativity and this thirst for experience as a result of that. And one of the most important aspects of repressing this masculine energy is that we end up lacking leadership in our families when we get married and have kids. Because we are too afraid of upsetting, you know, our wives, or appearing too much like that controlling, authoritarian, or abusive father that we try to avoid, then we go to the opposite end of the spectrum, and then we fail to become the leader that our family really needs. As a result, consequently, what happens is that this job of the family leader ends up falling on The wives, right? Most of the women don't want that job, quote unquote, but they end up taking it by default because the family needs someone to steer the wheel. So everything that we've been talking about throughout this episode, this is a general list of characteristics again. It's a spectrum, and not everyone dealing with codependency is going to fulfill each and every criteria. Some will gravitate towards particular characteristics compared to other characteristics, and that's fine. So just see what resonates with you and see if, like, you tick any boxes and if anything really, like, opens up your mind to certain aspects of yourself that you didn't even realize about yourself. As, as, you know, as we mentioned before, it was like a slap in the face when we did this research because a lot of things resonated with us, but, you know, as painful as it was to kind of, like, unravel these realities, the work is necessary because now we know how to, you know, we'll be talking about healing and recovery from all of that. So that is kind of necessary to just realize, right? And again, Ross Rosenberg, we spoke about him uh, earlier. Um, He, divided codependency into two types. There is passive and there's active codependency. So when someone has passive codependency, it means that the person is really passive when it comes to conflict. So they're fearful, they avoid conflict, they have low self-esteem, they are, you know, in the presence of fear, they are intimidated, they're frozen, they try to passively manipulate others and to control others, and they play the role of the martyr in, in many cases. Whereas in with active codependency, what happens is they they are more overt and bold in their manipulation. They're not afraid of, go, you know, putting themselves in conflict. They're really argumentative and confrontational, and they're more overt than the passive codependent type.
1: Yeah, and also people struggling with codependency they have a higher chance of being in a relationship with whether it's romantic, parent, friend, colleague. Etc. But with pathological narcissists, people with narcissistic personality disorder, or borderline personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, or people with addiction disorders,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and those people are generally uh, deeply ingrained with themselves, uh, and they project the blame on others, and they resist change despite consequences uh they have troubles relating to situations and people have rigid and inflexible thought and behavioral patterns uh, impaired impulse control and moods as well as just unaware of the harm they cause others uh, so they're unable to ch- take charge and change themselves um they can kind of be arrogant or grandiose in vain so rosenberg uh wahida talked about this a little bit earlier was He coined this term, the human magnet syndrome, to describe the relationship between codependents and pathological narcissists, where they attract like magnets. And I think this is because codependents, they tend to be caretakers. And then people with borderline personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder, they're seeking attention and to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. So then, obviously, the two would just attract. Um, And then that's when it becomes just a roller coaster because both the codependents and the persons with these disorders have strong fears of abandonment, uh, but they also at the same time, they crave independence. So when one will start to pull away, the other will become afraid, afraid of the abandonment because the other one is becoming more independent. And so then the one afraid of abandonment will start becoming clingy and then vice versa. And it's just this endless back and forth.
0: Absolutely. People might be thinking so what's the difference between being an empath and being a codependent, right? It might be blurry at this point. So let's just explain this. Some people might actually be empaths but not codependent. Other people would be codependent but not empaths, and some people might actually be both at the same time. An empath by definition is a person who can take other people's emotions in and put him or herself in their shoes to feel what they're feeling, to try and imagine what they are going through, right? Whereas a codependent is, you know, again, someone who takes other people's emotions on, right? He or she carries those emotions on, and they tend to feel responsible for other people's emotions. And they make it a priority for uh, the other person not to feel this way anymore. Right, so that they can feel okay again. They get weighed down by emotions, and they get thrown off by other people's emotions, and they have this tendency to try and fix people at all costs. We need others to be okay so that we are okay, right? I derive my sense of self-worth from taking care of other people, right? So that's codependence. Our emotional state is dependent on other people's emotional states. The difference between an empath and a codependent is the difference between saying, I understand you and feel you, versus saying, I need to fix you, right? So we see the difference between them. Being an empath means having the emotional and mental well-being not tied to the outcome that I want, versus being codependent, which means that they have to be tied to the outcome of fixing the other person. And another point that we need to mention is that codependence would would sometimes lack empathy for other people's feelings or needs when they are under stress, right? We want them to do this or feel a certain way because we believe that it is good for them, right? It's coming from us. I know that it will be good for you. You have to do this, but this is not empathy, right we're not empathizing with them since we are not seeing their problem or what they are going through from their own perspective we're seeing it from our own perspective right so it's important to actually accept that they are not okay and to accept that we can't really heal or fix them um and that would be you know part of empathy but with codependency we can't really accept they're not okay or that we can't really fix them and we take it on ourselves to fix them or heal them if that makes sense
1: yeah definitely i do this all the time where i'm always trying i always give people advice what has worked for me and Mm -hmm. i just expect it to work for them exactly (laughs) but we come from two completely different worlds and i'm like just do it
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you're like, oh my god, I gave them the advice. Why haven't they done that already? Like, you know, why the heck? What What else do they need yeah. from me? And we're like, they don't even need us. But yeah,
1: yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really, I really understood the term empathy from psychologists because I started really looking at how psychologists operate, mm-hmm. and. I would say that the really good psychologists are very empathic Mm -hmm. and I noticed that they are not tied to the outcome of how, of the client's life. Like in general, they just want the client to be overall, you know, better or whatever, but they, a good psychologist, if you come in, they will ask you, what do you want to get out of this? Um, So it's already automatically all about the other person. And so the goal is to meet whatever the goal the person has. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not the goal of the psychologist. Um, So they're not tied to any outcome. And then throughout the process, uh, they are always relying on the client to do the problem solving. So the psychologist doesn't just want to give all the answers. They always just ask, you know, what do you think you should do or what do you think and, um, yeah, so I really learned empathy from psychologists and then I have some friends who are very good at this where they problem solve with you, but they don't give you the solution. Um, mm-hmm. they just work with you to solve it. Uh, so it's re- really more empowering, I think, mm-hmm. um, rather than taking away someone else's power.
0: Exactly. Beautifully said. Yeah. last part of this episode, we're going to be talking about emotional dependency. And um, so what's the difference between dependency and codependency? So we've seen that with codependency, the relationship is actually based on trying to fix the other person, and then going out of our ways to helping them to the expense of our own detriment, right? We react to other people's actions, our wounds feed their wounds, and their wounds feed our wounds. Right. So if we think about an arrow moving from one person to another, it's like it's moving in both directions from one partner to the other and then from the other partner to to the first one. Right. It goes in both directions. Whereas with dependency, you know, someone who is dependent, emotionally dependent, they latch on to the other person. They want them only for them. They become possessive and they demand exclusivity. You know, it becomes very, very intense. It's like, my survival depends on you. I need you in my life to meet my needs. I don't know who I am without you, right? And this emotional dependency stems from legitimate needs that have not been met growing up, you know, in our childhood. And again, going back to attachment trauma, there has been attachment trauma that led to a lot of abandonment issues growing up. And so, In adulthood when we find someone that we can latch on to it becomes like that emotionally dependent relationship and so these needs become sought in this very dysfunctional way that creates a lot of tension you know so what are the characteristics in general of people who engage in emotional dependency
1: so some general characteristics is that these dependent relationships will begin very suddenly and intensely Whereas normal friendships normally take more time and develop gradually. Right. Um, the relationships are really attached. Uh, the people are, thre- they feel threatened or they get really high levels of anxiety when they're apart from each other, mm-hmm. uh, becomes very jealous and possessive. It demands exclusivity and complete 24 seven attention via text calls or, or in the same physical space as each other. Right. And, Uh, They typically want one-on-one time, so not group time, so not hanging out with friends, uh, but they just want to be one-on-one. Others are kind of viewed as a threat to their exclusive relationship.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so, as you said, you know, they constantly think about the other person. Uh, who they're with, what they're doing, what they're thinking, why they haven't picked up the phone, why ha- they haven't answered my message, even though I see the blue ticks on their WhatsApp, etc. You know, and then they start blaming themselves, you know, oh my god, did I do something wrong? Do they still love me? You know, are they with someone else? What is happening? Are they going to abandon me? Etc, etc. Right? And sometimes, you know, we start losing interest in other things that are going on in life, whether it's our work, our hobbies, our friends, families, even if we're married to our spouse, and we just focus on that relationship or that friendship. So it becomes detrimental because we start losing focus and it comes at the expense of everything else that's going on in our lives, you know?
1: Yeah, basically everything I do with you...
0: Oh dear Lord, don't even. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: uh, we're joking people. This is obviously not a dependent or codependent relationship. <laughs> we're just friends
1: anyway. <laughs> that's that's what you want to call it. So okay. and then sometimes they involve romantic elements fantasizing about the other person romantically or sexually lengthy romantic touch and gazing uh so preoccupation with you know what they're doing their appearance and then that idolization you're seeing them as perfect you're putting them on that pedestal where they have no mistakes you're always defending them speaking on their behalf uh, only making plans to involve them and you start centering your schedule and your plans around that person
0: right yeah and, and sometimes, like, when there's a display of affection, it becomes too much or too inappropriate. Like, for example, too much hugging, too much closeness. Even when you're with other people, like, people start wondering, like, what is going on here? Like, this is just too much, right? But then someone might argue, particularly on their recovery or healing journey, well, you said I need to, like, meet my unmet needs, my unmet physical or touch needs. And this person, you know, it's a platonic relationship, so I'm not doing anything wrong right? But again, you know, this just happens with one person. It doesn't happen with others. So this is kind of problematic, right? There's only this person and these behaviors make other people uncomfortable. So this is a question mark here. Like if this is not happening, if this is not a balanced relationship with other people, then why this exclusivity, quote unquote, or this dependence on one person? So this puts things in perspective.
1: So. Yeah. And then there's manipulation involved. So when these behaviors or actions are not reciprocated and the needs aren't met, then manipulation can take place um, sometimes in the form of passive aggressive behavior, like there's exaggerated praise, there's too many affirmations, uh, creating drama and exaggerating issues to foster other sympathy. hmm. Um, saying those words, like, I can't make it without you. I'll die. I need you. You're the only one who can help me. I can't survive without you. You're the only person for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, guilting the other person. You should know what I want without me asking for it. That type of mind reading. You made me feel bad. So it's your fault. You did or said this. And so now I feel bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, So really guilting the other person and feeling bad. Right. And then when the other person sets boundaries, you retaliate with silent treatments or showing disdain or even sometimes suicidal threats, like saying, oh, I'll kill myself if you leave me, Uh, undermining the other person's friendships or relationships and family to exclude them and then have them just for yourself. So that isolating type of behavior.
0: Absolutely. And, um, you know, when we don't have deliberate, healthy and focused interventions to actually help us and support and probably therapy, then even, eventually what happens is that any emotionally dependent relationship that operates on these, you know, pers- based on these characteristics is doomed to fail and crash and burn sooner or later, that's going to happen. So the sooner The individual is going to seek professional and healthy interventions, the more likely it is that this emotionally dependent relationship can change and be transformed, um, you know, into a healthy friendship um, that is going to be healing and, and supportive on, you know, in our journeys. With this, we have come to the end of today's episode on understanding the characteristics of codependency and emotional dependency. In the next episode, inshallah, Amina and I are going to be talking about healing from attachments, codependency, and emotional dependency through a two-episode series, inshallah. Until then, stay safe and healthy, and Amina and I look forward to talking to you very soon. This has been Amina and Wahid Jensen in A Way Beyond the Rainbow.